0: and today we are back to our regularly scheduled football programming for you guys. We took a brief tennis interlude in the middle of the week. We wanted to show those programs some love because I personally am very excited about the SEC men's tennis tournament being here in Athens this weekend. Also very excited to see what the women can do down in Gainesville on their side. So I want to work that in, but today we are back with your regularly scheduled football fix here on the show. And today we're going to go with a mailbag episode. You know, we got a lot of questions coming in after G-Day. We wanted to touch on as many of them as we possibly could. Curtis and I tried to cover as much as we could earlier in the week with our overreaction episode for G-Day. We covered a lot of stuff on that, a lot of the big points, a lot of our our big takeaways from G-Day, but we know that we did not get to touch on everything and we want to make sure that we're covering everything that you guys want to hear us talking about coming out of G-Day. So that is what this episode is for. Now, not every question today is related specifically to G-Day, but we're going to lead off with those questions, and we'll cover a couple of them next week as well. We want to kind of spread out a little bit, and we'll go with some more big picture, like SEC-type questions. got some interesting stuff to talk about today. So, Curtis, let's go ahead, man, and let's jump right into these questions, and let's start with this question from Jacob. I think this is a good place to start, Curtis. So, Jacob is looking at specific position groups and asks, now that we've gotten a chance to see what the 2022 team has to offer." what position group are you most concerned with after G-Day? So Curtis, looking at G-Day, obviously specifically here, but also spring practice in totality, all the things we heard coming out of practice, what position group right now are you most concerned with heading into the summer months? You know, I
2: kind of touched on this, it felt like, a little bit um, in our recap of G-Day, but right now, I, I mean, I'm very confident in the coaches and things like that, but I am very worried about our inside linebacker play we didn't see a lot of great play consistently on Saturday. Um, And I know we we smile and people like that, that we're hoping when they're healthy, they can do it. But until we go out on the field right now, um, that's probably the position I'm most worried about.
0: I hate to agree with you, but I kind of agree with you. I guess you could say the cornerback position opposite Ringo, which is going to be the field corner this year. But that's not, a, that's not a unit. That's a single position. It's not a position group. It's one spot. And I am concerned about that spot. I love the talent we have there, but I don't know who the answer is going to be. And whoever it's going to be is going to be a guy who hasn't really played any at all. But we had that with Ringo last year, although we did have Darion control on the other side, who's got a lot of experience. So I'm concerned about that spot. But as an entire position group, Curtis, I think you nailed it. I think it's got to be inside linebacker. And it's again, it's not. It's like cornerback. It's not that I don't think we have talent. I love the talent that we have, but none of these guys have played really any meaningful snaps in their entire career. Not even one of them, Curtis. So there's a lot of youth, a lot of inexperience, a ton of talent, a ton of athleticism, but there's gonna be some bumps in the road. And I'm in like full fledged going back and rewatching all the games mode. I'm I'm already getting ready for the 2022 season, Curtis. I've been watching this Kentucky game a couple times past couple weeks. And uh, there's one play that stands out. I might try to do some video stuff on this, but there's one play that really stands out. We were up 24-7. It was in the third quarter. Kentucky is driving, trying to cut it to 24-14. I think at that point, I don't think anyone had still scored double digits on us at that point in that Kentucky game. So we were still trying to hold on to that streak. They were driving, and it was second down, and they try to run a screen out, basically a rollout screen. where you, you roll out one direction, and it's a throwback screen, right, to Chris Rodriguez, a running back. And they had it set up perfectly. Lyman released. Everyone was biting on, chasing uh, Will Levis as he's rolling out to the right. He throws back left. One player occurs. One player was there to sniff it out, or it would have been a walk in touchdown. It was Nicobe Dean. And yeah, he, it looked like we were in, in man coverage. He had Rodriguez man coverage, but he did not get fooled. His eyes were in the right spot. We talk about eye discipline. That was what Nicobe Dean did on that play.
2: And he doesn't to to make Florida, that play go get back walk-in
0: to the touchdown. It's a different game if he doesn't make that play. We well, had yeah, go back to the Florida
2: game two years ago, and Dean really played terrible when it came down to, um, you know, uh, stopping the wheel route. And we saw what that, what, you know, it did to us. So we know yep. that when you do have less, less than stellar play, especially in the run- passing game from our inside linebackers, then we can be in it's trouble. Arching.
0: Yeah. And think about N'Kobe making the play, the the pick six right before the half against Florida. Now we'd, we'd kind of already ended, the, ended on a, on a high note, but that, that kind of sealed the deal right there. I'm not saying we would have lost to Florida if he doesn't make that play, but that sure helped I me. Mean, you guys remember, we don't like to admit it. The first half was for most of the first half it was closer than we wanted it to be. Right. And then, yeah. you know, we go, we surge right there at the, end of the first half and Kobe Dean put the icing on the cake. Do we have a player right now that's ready to play at that level and make those kind of plays with that kind of awareness, that kind of discipline because they're just young. It's not a talent thing. That's not what I'm concerned about. I am concerned about like overall team speed on defense. That's another question for another day. But I just I am concerned to a degree. I love Glenn Schumann. I think he's maybe the best position coach we have on the team when he's done with these guys inside linebacker. Taking a guy like Tay Crowder from a, a former running back that nobody wanted to a, a to Mr. Irrelevant to now a starter with the New York Giants. I mean, he's a fantastic, not just defensive mind, but developer of inside linebackers. So I love the guy. I love the talent we have. I like the options. I just get concerned when none of them have any kind of experience. It's one thing when you have two young guys that you're kind of rotating with two veterans. We don't have that luxury this year. That's concerning for me, especially when you consider – how important our linebackers were for us last year. And also the fact that we don't have a Jordan Davis protecting those guys up front this year. Sure, we have some really good players up front like, like Jalen Carter, but we don't have the big space to to keep bodies off of them allow them to run free. So they might even have to play at a higher level. And I just don't know if we have guys who are ready to do that. So that is a concern for me when you talk about maybe our defense taking a step back this year. I don't think a demonstrative step back, but I think likely a step back of some sort. It's not going to be the same level defense it was last year. I think you look at the linebackers as maybe one of the primary reasons that might be the case. Of course, losing some of the guys losing up front doesn't help either, but I like the options that we had to replace. At least those guys, it's like Jalen Carter and Zion Logue have some experience at inside linebacker. We just don't. Um, but I, I think they'll get better as the year goes on. And as we get you know, to the midpoint of the season, we'll be in good shape, I feel like. But we're gonna have to weather the storm early on. And you know, we have that game against Oregon, week one, Curtis. That's whew, that's tough. It's a it's a talented team. You can go to South Carolina week two those kind of things can be concerning. So I think it's got to be linebacker. I'm I'm totally there with you, man. Uh, all right. Next up, Darren has a good question about the portal, which you talk about college football, especially the offseason, you gotta talk about the transfer portal because it's it's all it's it's all in the news all the time. Everybody wants to go in the portal, people are leaving, you're trying to get some guys. It's it's all everyone's talking about this time of year. So Darren asked, Do you still think we take a wide receiver in the portal? Curtis, you and I had mentioned we were asked before what are the positions we might be looking at in the portal, and we both mentioned wide receiver. So Darren wants to know, do we still think that we should take a wide receiver in the portal? It seems like Dominic and and KJ are much healthier. I'm actually bullish on this group. Am I crazy? So what do you think, Curtis? Is Darren crazy? So we just like skip over getting a receiver through the portal
2: this year? It depends who it is. I mean, the, the fact is, um, think back to a couple of years ago, we thought Lawrence Cager was going to be just a fit piece for us, that he wasn't really going to be a game changer. And he ended up being what we needed at the time. Uh, and I think the biggest thing is, you know, you kind of touched on it. It may have been last show, but, yeah, we had a lot of skill at that position. We're deep. But we don't have a, a guy at that position. And say someone comes into the portal that could be that difference maker, that Jamison Williams type that just happens. You know, maybe he's very behind the depth chart. You don't know what their situation is, but maybe they enter the portal. I, I I couldn't imagine a world where you don't because how
0: can you not try to get better? If the guy presents himself where it's a no-brainer, like If a, you're right, if a guy of the caliber of Jameson Williams is sitting there, of course it's a no-brainer. You go after him. But, you, but I mean, there's I there, you right know, there's position. there's rumors,
2: and it's hard to say names, but there's been rumors, you know, maybe a North Carolina wide receiver, maybe looking yeah. around, who has a yeah. good brother that is a five star recruit in the state of Georgia. You know that yeah. that hypothetical. You know, if that were to happen, I think it'd be a no brainer. Also.
0: Yeah, of course, of course. I, I think I'm a, I'm pretty much in agreement with you here. I think you're right in that we're just not in a position where we, I don't think we're in, in such a dire position and situation right now that we have to reach at receiver. I would agree with you there, Curse and Darren. I I think that's what you're getting at here too. I, if it's a true difference maker, you got to take him. Like. You know, if a guy like, like we have like, like Reed Gilbert, like, you know, I know we technically recruited him as a receiver, but we, we know what we had in tight end. But when a guy like that wants to come to Georgia, you let that guy come to Georgia, right? Like you don't turn away players that talented, but I don't think we just need to take a body to take a body. Uh, cause I do, I do like the options we have a receiver. Now Curtis, I do, I do want to push a little bit on one thing you said, cause you said that we don't have like a difference maker guy at receiver. I think it's fair to say that we haven't, we don't have a guy that's been a difference maker in his career. But I think that we have guys at receiver that can step up and be difference makers this year. Would you agree with me on that, or are you, are you, are you just not sure we have no, that guy on the I, I, I am agreeing with you on that,
2: but outside of A.D. Mitchell, I don't know if we have a true difference maker either. I mean, Alabama had John Mechie going in last year, who was a pretty solid guy who could do a lot of things for them. And then Addison James, adding Jameson Williams made him that, just that much better.
0: Yeah, I, and I, I had questions about, you know, going to Alabama, I had questions about John Mechie coming in last year. Like, was he a true number one receiver? And I still don't know if John Mechie is a true number one receiver. I think him having Jamison Williams certainly helped him. Mechie's never had to be like that guy. But, we're, we're, but we'll worry about Georgia. We're talking about, I know he's talking about Georgia right here, so let's focus on that. But, um, yeah, like Dom, I don't think Dom's a number one guy, but that doesn't mean Dom can't be productive. Kiaris, I don't – Karis has not shown through his career to be a number one guy. I think Karis might be closer to that than than Dom. But I, I think A.D. Mitchell has that potential. Uh, and watch out for Lad McConkie, Curtis. I think Lad can be a big-time player. I think he's got the versatility to do some things for us. Uh, Arian Smith can't stay healthy, so I can't count him right now. But I, I think certainly that A.D. Mitchell has that potential right now. And uh, he hasn't done it. I I, I, I hear you there. But I, I love the weapons that we have on offense – I mean, our tight ends are technically tight ends, but I mean, they operate as receivers from time to time as well. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't want to say 50% of the time, but quite often. So I feel really good about the weapons we have in the passing game. I don't think we have to go reach for anybody, but like you said, if somebody presents themselves and wants to come here and they're a difference maker, you take them hundred percent. You take and you make room for them. You figure out a way to make it work and, and you make that happen. But I, I, Darren, I generally agree with your premise that like we certainly don't need to be going like insane, trying like, you know, dig through the rubbish, the pile of trash, trying to find somebody to play wide receiver. And that's just going to come in here and take up a, take up a scholarship. We don't, we're not in that kind of dire situation. I like the young talent that we have. I think we're going to have plenty of guys can make plays for us, So certainly not time to reach there. Mother's day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue Nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones. Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast. Most items can ship overnight. Let's go on here. Patrick has a a, a great, you know, I, you guys know I love my X's and O's. So Patrick's, uh, he's setting us up here. He says, got an early s- scheme theme question for you. What do you see us doing more of defensively up, up, up front this season in the post Jordan Davis era? Uh, do we go more even or bare fronts to get one on ones for Noel and Jalen? Will anyone be able to 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 two gap like Jordan Davis ever? What do you think, Curtis? What do you see? Because we are going to have to adjust what we do defensively. There's no doubt about it. We don't have a guy like Jordan Davis on the roster. We've said this several times in the past couple of months. We don't have that guy that can do the things that Jordan Davis did. So what is the answer? What do we do up front to compensate? Well, I think even
2: more than anything is we're going to have to play more guys on the line. I mean, we were talking about it. One thing that helped everything last year is because we could play these even fronts and not have to bring other guys down into the box. Well, we're going to have to find ways to get guys in the box more and try to open it up for everyone. Because no, we don't have space eaters. Um, now maybe someone comes in and does it, but right now from what I've seen, we don't have that. So we're going to have to try to maybe go more bare fronts and we're just going to have to, there's going to be more packages where people are, where we're playing more guys on the line than we are used to.
0: Yeah. And guys, if you're not familiar with what we're talking about, like even fronts, you know, we're a, uh... A base three four team, but we're never in our base three four. So even front, just four down linemen, right? So oftentimes what you see with that is you got your two interior defensive linemen, and then you got two outside linebackers operating. You put so put Nolan Smith and Robert Beal out there at the same time. You put Nolan Smith and uh, MJ Sherman or Chas Chambliss, those kind of guys. You operate with like more athleticism out there on the field and just try to be more disruptive. Bare front, you're typically bringing an extra guy down the line of scrimmage. It could be an outside linebacker, another outside linebacker. It could be an inside linebacker. You're basically going five across the front there to try to get those one on ones. Um, I think you'll see a little bit of all those things, honestly, Curtis. I think you'll see a different approach from us because it has to be a different approach. Like I said, and like Patrick mentioned here, we don't have a guy like Jordan Davis who's going to be able to two gap like he did and just control the middle line of scrimmage, allow linebackers to run free, allow us to control the run game with even numbers, allow us to stay structurally intact in the back end, keeping two, two high safety looks all the time to, to defend against, you know, those explosive pass plays that teams want to try to hit on you. I don't know. We don't have a guy. We don't have that guy this year. And Patrick's right. We might not ever have a guy like that again. Like we're going to recruit for it. But those guys that are as big as Jordan Davis and as athletic as Jordan Davis, they are about as rare as you can you can imagine. Those guys just don't, they don't happen ever. They just don't. So we're going to have to approach it a little bit differently. And it's been a while since we've had to approach it like that. Because go back to 2017, like, John John Atkins wasn't Jordan Davis, but he was in that vein. He was a two-gapper. I don't even know if we have, like, a true two-gapper on the team right now. I really don't. So I do think you're going to see, from an approach standpoint, I think you're going to see more one-gap stuff where we're going to allow these guys who their greatest strength up front, guys like Tyrion Ingram, Dawkins. Jalen Carter certainly to a degree Zion Low, Warren Brinson as well. Their greatest strength is their athleticism and their quickness. They're big enough but they're not like you know big huge power guys. I mean Jalen Carter can do a little bit of all of that but their greatest strength is quickness. So you allow them to one gap get upfield a little bit and and create havoc in the backfield and, and that's great but that can also that can open you open you up to a lot of different things. You can have guys you, can, you have them running power and and have pulling guards and trap you and all sorts of different things that get you out of position, and you can create running lanes for teams. You don't want to do any of that, but with the guys, you don't want that to happen. But with the with the talent that we have, like you have to play to their strengths. and I think that's the strength of the guys on the defensive line. So I think you'll see more of that kind of thing. But it's going to be interesting, Patrick. It's a great question. We're definitely going to go more in detail on this. I had this as one of the plans to talk about in, the, in the, once we get into the summer months, doing some scheme theme episodes. We'll go into a lot more detail. But uh, I think that's uh, just to just to kind of. Recap it here. You'll see more one-gap stuff. I think you'll see more even fronts, bare fronts, all things that you mentioned, try and get one-on-ones. But you're just not going to be able to – I don't think you're going to see a ton of two-gap stuff in the past, like we had in the past because I just don't think we have a guy like that on the roster right now, unfortunately. But uh, all right, great question. All right, moving on. Uh, Cliff, our man Cliff's got a great question. How likely will the offensive line production be dramatically improved? It's amazing that we won a national title with guard play that was average at best. Imagine what the running game could be, especially not having to bounce outside every single time. Kurt, like we've talked about this a lot about the offensive line, especially the offensive guard position. How, how much improvement do you expect to see this season?
2: I'm, if Tate Ratliff comes back healthy, I think right away, that's an improvement. Um, Schaefer, you know, we were hard on him, but he had his ups and downs. He had some good times. He had experience.
0: We he was good in the run game. Yeah. But um, he was staying on his feet was a problem.
2: Exactly. Um, And so, I think from what we have, the weapons we have opposite Tate Rattledge, I could see both. I mean, in my opinion, neither of those guys' struggles are in the run game, actually. Um, Where I was more worried about them was in the pass rush. Um, But I think running-wise, we may have a little bit more, be a little bit better equipped with road graders in the run game.
0: Yeah, I think the key here is that we'll be able to get more push in the interior. I think that's that's what you're going to see, whether it's Willick and Trust or Rattles gets back healthy or Erickson. Well, if it's Erickson, there's not going to be any improvement in terms of of getting pushed yeah, on the that's, interior. That's going to be the status quo. Yeah. I think you're going to get more pushed there. And I I get what you're saying, Cliff. I do think that, especially on the interior, we had average offensive line play. I thought On the edges, we were good. I thought McClendon was really good for us and really solid, stable for us. And I thought that Jamari Salyer had a fantastic senior season. I thought they were both great. But on the interior, as we talked about all season, there were some issues there. Then we had to address those. And hopefully we are. And it seems like we are in the process of addressing them. But during the season, like, you know, we talked about this before. I've even mentioned this recently. You know, when you watch this play, like you didn't feel like we were like a, a, as good of a running team as we had been in years past, going back to like 2017, right? When we make the run of the national title, where clearly you are led by the rushing attack with Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle. You got a true freshman quarterback in Jake Fromm, and he's just managing the game, right? But if you look at the numbers, it wasn't all that far off. Like, we averaged 5.79 yards a carry in in 2017, and last year we averaged 5.48 yards a carry. Like, really not that far off. I, I'm sorry, 5.26 yards per carry. We're second in the, in the conference behind Florida, who had running quarterbacks in the equation. 5.26 yards per carry. No, not what it was in 2017, but still good. Not what it was in 2018. 2018, we actually averaged 5.9 yards a carry. But still good. We didn't have as many explosive runs. That that's been the thing. We just haven't had as many explosive runs. 2019, we actually dropped down to 4.94 yards per carry. So we were better in 2021 than we were in 19. Uh, we were actually better than we were in, in, in 20 in 2020 at 4.62 yards per carry. So the numbers actually tell you that we were better on the ball than like what it felt like at times. We just didn't break off as many of the chunk plays in the ground game as we did like back in 2017, like with with obviously Chubb and Michelle and DeAndre Swift that season. Also in 2018, we just didn't break off as many of those runs, but we were still pretty productive. But imagine how much more productive we can be, Curtis, if we do get more of a push on the interior. And I do expect that, uh, as long as it's not Warren Erickson. If it's Warren Erickson, like we said, just be more of the same. I do want to see Cedric Van Pran take a step forward. Um, Going back and rewatching some of these games again, I've been focusing on the on the interior of the offensive line as part of you know when I when I watch these guys like. Every time I watch through, I, I'm watching a different position, and I'm focusing on that position. I've been watching center some, and Van Pran got better as the season went on, but the early part, the middle part of the season, and he was young, it, it's to be expected, he was not particularly good for us. He he wasn't, like we talked about Erickson not getting much push, neither did Van Pran, and he's a center. I mean, that's what we talked about. He had two centers on the interior, that's not really a recipe for a lot of success in the run game, but I need to see him take the next step this year. I think he grew and got better, and I hope he does to do the next step, but it, like we 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 just knock Warren Erickson all the time, but Van Prent next to him wasn't all that. But much see, that's the thing, though. Usually the centers
2: are bailed. Usually the centers are bailed out by the good guard play, and we yeah. didn't have that.
0: Yeah, and so I think both guys have just kind of magnified both of their their deficiencies at times last year. But I think he's going to be better in his second year as a starter. Hopefully, the guards around him will be even better, and then we'll have a a, a, a nice solid improvement. I don't expect it to be demonstrative, but I do think that we will be better up front. As long as we have bigger guys in there that can get more of a push in the run game. And then like if you said that does hurt you a little bit in the past protection, but at this point, I mean, it sets mobility that I think it's a risk worth taking at this point. I really do. I think it's a risk worth taking. Uh, all right, let's move on here, Curtis. So that's some Georgia specific stuff. We've got a couple questions here that are maybe outside of the Georgia football team. But still, it's college football, and it's georgia Jason. As long as it's georgia Jason. even if it's not georgia Jason, if it's college football, it's the offseason, let's talk about it. If that's what you guys want to talk about, we'll do it. And our good friend Josh has a great question. This is a good one, Josh. Appreciate it, man. So Josh says, I see us winning the SEC championship against A&M, but who are the other teams that you see making it to the college playoff this upcoming season? Kurt, who got your eyes on? I know we're, we're a ways away from it, but who are your early teams? The early teams you're looking at here to – to potentially make a run once the season hits
2: i think ohio state can do it offensively you know they're always going to have weapons and they recruit so well offensively and they also recruit well defensively and right now in the big 10 i don't know who can challenge them i don't think michigan's gonna have the year they did last year and then i really just don't think penn state or michigan state or some of the wisconsin or these other teams are gonna challenge them and then this is my flyer but i could see usc making a run in the west in the pac-10 or the pac-12 um I just a lot of these, a lot of these other teams have taken steps back, and they've gotten some big time transfers at USC.
0: You're buying the hype. You're buying the Lincoln Riley. It's hype. not
2: that. It's, it's just the fact that the conference is so weak. If you if Lincoln Riley walked into the SEC and tried to do the same thing, even landing Caleb Williams, I'm not ready. To, I would never say that they were going to win the conference. But the Pac-12 is so open. I mean, Oregon, who has kind yeah. of been dominating, is at this point kind of relying on Bo Nix. Um, yeah. So I just don't see the competition.
0: Utah, don't sleep on Utah. I mean, don't Utah's on the Utah. one that can
2: challenge them, but I believe that Utah will have to go to USC, which it's not as hard a place to play as it was in the past, but it's still just that leverage of being in the mountains isn't going to be there for them.
0: Let's see. Do they have to go to USC? No, they're at Utah. Oh, well then,
2: okay. That'll That's they're in Utah's Utah. favor. But yeah, the fact right, is that them. that's my, that's my flyer. I, right now, I don't have anyone in the ACC Clemson. I mean, I watched your spring game and <laughs> I just can't um, buy into D
0: like, the, I don't know. D he D D, D D looked look look terrible. He
2: looked terrible yeah. in the spring game. He he's couldn't still, even He's he,
0: still garbage, Curtis. That's I, problem. I don't know what they're doing with this guy. His mechanics
2: are being wasted. He's actually going to take a. I mean, garbage. he just is. Not, yeah, and then in the Big Twelve, Oklahoma and Texas, maybe Texas we'll make a run with Quinn Ewers and some people. But I'm still not ready to buy. him running back. Yeah, um, yeah, but
0: I think Oklahoma
2: definitely not. Texas may, may be a dark horse, but right now I'd go with maybe some two. I could even see two out of the SEC again. I mean, the fact is, I just don't know who else is out there right now that's as strong.
0: Yeah, I mean, when, when you're looking, you're trying to project forward, I think you have to look at this. You have to look at talent, number one, obviously. You have the talent to do it. And you also look at the schedule. Like, what is your path? And I think we have a really good path. I mean, we have some games that could trip us up. Oregon week one could be a, tri- a, a, tr- a tricky kind of game for us. I think the late season road swing after, after Florida and after Tennessee, when we go to Mississippi State and to Kentucky back-to-back, I think those are really both, like, trap games for us, very tricky games for us. I think both teams are going to be very good this year. We should win both those games, but on the road, those environments, the, the defending national champ coming to town, like it's going to be crazy environments. And uh, the, Those games slightly concern me, but I think we have a good, solid path there. Alabama, I mean, Curtis, I mean, a and I don't think A&M's ready. I know they beat them last year. I don't think A&M's ready to win the West this year. Quarterback is the most important position on the field, and I don't know that A&M has an answer still at that position. They have some options, and any of these guys could be. You know, Hanks King was going to be the guy to be their starter last year. He opened the season as their starter, got hurt early in the season. I think think actually in the Colorado game, he got hurt and was out for the rest of the year. But I haven't seen enough from him to say that, yeah, that's going to be the dude at quarterback for them. Max Johnson is a good, solid player, but we've seen a fair amount from Max Johnson at LSU and had a lot of talent around him. I know there's obviously a lot of toxicity around him in that program. There was chaos going on at LSU last year, but I don't think he's a game changer at quarterback. Good, solid player. Sure, he's not bad, but he's not a game changer. Connor Wagman, the, the, the five-star true freshman, now he's the wild card. You have no idea what to expect there outside of his recruiting ranking, but right now, I just don't know they have the answer at quarterback, which if, is the most important position on the field, and if you don't have that answer at quarterback, I have a tough time thinking you're going to, going to go into Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama. I know they had this great recruiting class, but are those guys going to change the game for them this year? Maybe in a year or two. I don't think this year. I think Bama is the clear favorite in the West. I think Ohio State, definitely, Curtis, you're right. I don't know who the challenger is to Ohio State. Michigan, we know, beat them last year, but they got to go to the horseshoe this year. Michigan lost a ton of players on that defense, which really led that team. Let's see what J.J. Peterson can do at, running back, or at quarterback. I do like Blake at running back. They have some weapons, but – I don't think they're going to be Ohio State. I don't think Penn State's ready. I don't, I don't think Wisconsin's ready. I don't think Iowa's ready. I think it's. I know Ohio State had some issues defensively last year, but and that's really what held them back. But they were de- Ryan Day was dead set on getting those fixed this year. Brought in a new coordinator. You mentioned you know CJ Stroud at quarterback coming back with his, as a second year as a starter. Travion Henderson might be the most explosive running back in the country. You still have Jackson Smith Ngibu. I want to say I always forget how to pronounce the name, but he wouldn't go for over three hundred in the Rose Bowl, Curtis. I mean. That guy is insane. They just keep pumping out receivers They're just like Alabama does. I mean, Ohio State's receiving core was so good that Jamison Williams couldn't play. And he ends up at Alabama we saw what he was capable of. So Ohio State, I just don't know who the, who the challenger is. I think they're that talented. So I think they're going to be a strong contender for the playoffs. Clemson has a great path, but I just can't buy him right now, man. Like, yeah, Clemson,
2: the ACC is open to anyone if they want to take it because it's open to them. And it should be Clemson, but right now they have not been recruiting as well. And yeah. they The And uh, with the coaching turnover, it makes you question also.
0: I think they're losing both coordinators in the same year. And they've they've been built on stability in the coaching staff, and they're losing both coordinators in the same year. They promote from within largely. So that, you know, but we'll see. uh, It's just different voices. We'll see how that works. But I don't buy DJ Uyungle right now. I just, I got to see it. I mean, we saw that his, you know, freshman year, 2 starts was really good last year. Disaster. And the spring game, I know it's the spring game, but still, like, it just kind of – reiterates what we saw from him last year, reinforces that they're going to be killer on defense. They have all those players coming back absent like Skalski, but those players up front are coming back. They still have issues on the offensive line. They got to find playmakers out wide. Shipley's going to be good at running back, but it's just not a, a classically built Clemson team. I have too many questions there. Maybe NC state jumps up and beats them again and, and takes the, uh, the Atlantic division. But I don't know. I just don't. I just don't buy Clemson right now. Notre Dame's a team that inside the. F, I think they were inside the the top five of the ESPN's FPI. I guess
2: yeah, Notre Dame could make a run. That's but, but Curtis,
0: they gotta play Ohio State.
2: Yeah, and at Clemson, or I believe they play Clemson this year. They, they
0: definitely play Clemson. This I know they play at. I think it's is it at. Ohio? I think it's at Ohio State.
2: They then play. They
0: definitely play Clemson later in the year. They play Ohio State. Yeah, at Ohio State, week two. Um, North Carolina, we'll see how good they are. But at North Carolina, you've got to go, they got go to USC. You mentioned USC, they got Clemson on the schedule this year. I think Notre Dame is a solid team, a good talented team. I don't, they're not running that table, Curtis. They don't run the table. I don't know if they get in because they, they don't have a conference championship game. I, I don't know. I, I can see easily two losses on that schedule. So I can't buy Notre Dame right now. Um maybe I USC, I hear you as a sleeper because there's you know the Pac 12 is not as strong and they got the skill talent. I still have questions about USC in the lines of scrimmage. But they just have to win the Pac 12. if they can beat Utah, yeah, potentially they could sneak in there. But I, right now I might give the edge to Utah there. Sleeper, I mean, maybe Utah as a sleeper. Oklahoma with the new coaching staff, I, in you know you got Dylan Gabriel coming in from UCF. I got it's just gonna be a different feel for Oklahoma, more of a defensive-led team. Bringing Brent Venables in, Texas might be my sleeper, Curtis. And I know everybody's always high on Texas every year, but Quinn Ewers, you know, like the highest-rated quarterback recruit I think ever on the two-four-seven composite. Went to Ohio State, now is transferred back home to Texas. B. John Robinson's a killer running back. But I have the same questions. Are they strong enough on the lines of scrimmage? But the Big 12, Kurt, talking about PATH, like who is going to beat Texas in the Big 12 this year? That's what I'm saying. Oklahoma has lost all the things that made them Oklahoma. Yeah, maybe maybe Oklahoma State. You know, Spencer Sanders coming back at quarterback. Maybe Oklahoma State gives them trouble. Oklahoma State was really good in the Big 12 last year. Baylor obviously, you know, won the Big 12 last year. But can they put two seasons back-to-back? like that? Texas is more talented than them. You know, in year two, can Sarkeesian – you know, the Saban tree, when you look at Kirby, uh, even Saban himself – Uh, sarkeesian now year two year year one usually is tough but then year two they kind of bounce back is is it the year two surge for sarkeesian there at texas i don't know um man i don't know like are you buying miami no not at all not yet I, i think it's the same as every there's there's a small like privileged group of teams i think can compete for i think it's georgia ohio state Alabama, obviously, I think maybe you could throw Clemson in there just virtue of the ACC being as weak as it is. But I still don't buy Clemson as a true like contender. But to get the playoffs, maybe they can get to the playoffs. I don't know, man. I mean, Texas, maybe, maybe, maybe USC, maybe Utah. I just think the list is small. I know you said you didn't like Miami this year, curse so that they're not ready to do it. I might throw them on this list just by virtue of how weak the ACC Coastal is. I don't think Pitt's going to fall off the face of the earth. I know they're losing Kenny Pickett, but you get Keaton Slovis coming in from USC as a transfer I I wouldn't completely write them off, but outside of Pitt, I don't know who's going to be the contender to Miami in the ACC Coastal. I think North Carolina's going to take a step back. They got a new quarterback. Obviously, it's not Georgia Tech. Virginia Tech's got a new coach. I don't think they're ready right now. They still have some roster issues. Virginia's got a whole new coaching staff. Brandon Armstrong comes back, but I'm curious to see how effective he's going to be in a new system. I think he was a really great fit for the system they ran with Robert and I at at offensive coordinator. So I don't think there's really, obviously not Duke. I don't think there's much of a contender in the ACC Coastal, and I really do like Tyler Van Dyke at quarterback. I think that guy might explode onto the national scene this year they've got they got some good running backs they struggled up front last year that's my big concern about Miami is I just I don't know if they're good enough along the lines of scrimmage and you have to be but if you're talking about the ACC I don't think there's much of a contender in the coastal Clemson we've already said we don't think they're at the same level they were a couple years back we don't see that happening. So maybe Miami can get into the ACC title game, and who knows? They match up with Clemson. They could easily win that game. And if that happens, maybe they sneak their way into the college playoff. I don't think they'd be a contender to win anything in the college playoff this year. But by virtue of their schedule, they have enough talent on that roster to maybe sneak in within the context of an ACC schedule. But even if I threw them on the list, I think the list is small. I don't, I don't see those teams that just come out of nowhere and make it run to the college playoff. I just, I don't know. I don't see those teams right now.
2: We also don't have Cincinnati. It won't be getting to Pub.
1: Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements. Or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads dot com.
0: Um all right, Curtis, two more questions and we'll get out of here real fast. Uh, all right, Jonathan has a question. I don't know if you saw Aaron Murray's comments, Curse about Jermaine Burton. Did you see that this week? I did. Yeah, so if you guys aren't familiar, basically Aaron Murray said that more or less that Jermaine Burton, if, if Alabama's having to rely on Jermaine Burton as a number one, a number one wide receiver, then it's not going to be as good of an offense, as explosive an offense as it has been in, in recent years, right? So Jonathan asks, what are your thoughts on Aaron Murray saying about Burton that, quote, if Bur- Burton is your number one wideout, then this offense won't be close to how explosive it's been in the past few years. I guess he had the quote in there for us. Thank you, Jonathan. So, Kurt, what did you make of those comments? Do you agree? Um,
2: I kind of do, and it's twofold for me because, first off, you always have to talk about injury when it comes to Jermaine Burton because he's one of these also that has not had a consistently healthy season. So, first off, yeah. you're li- relying on a guy, potentially relying on a guy to be your number one receiver who has a history of being injured, which, as we've seen, can, you know, hurt you really badly. And then number two is while Burton puts up explosive yards, he's not – I mean, I, to me, he's a little bit more athletic, John Mechie. Um, I don't see him being that home run killer threat that Jamison Williams was.
0: Yeah, I think Mechie was actually faster than what I've seen from Jermaine Burton. And if
2: that's true, then no, then I kind of do. And
0: that's eye change. test. Chris. I'm, that's eye test. I'm not based on anything other than just watching them play. But I always, I felt like, like Burton is a very strong route runner. He's got good quickness, good short area quickness. He's got good speed. I just never have seen him as like a flat out burner. You know what I mean? Yeah, I no, I agree. Like a four three kind of guy, like maybe mid high four four, which are still really fast. But I don't see him as like a flat out burner. But he's, I agree. I I I I absolutely agree with what Air Murray is saying, and it's, it goes back to like when he transferred Curtis. You and I essentially both were saying like, yeah, we'd rather have him than not have him, but we're not like losing our minds over this. Like I'm not going to lose sleep over losing Jermaine Burton, and the reason was because I I think he's a good player. I think he's a good receiver. I I'm. I'm sure if he can stay healthy, he will be productive for Alabama because he's going to get more touches and more opportunities. By virtue of that alone, he will put up better numbers. That's going to happen. Be ready for that, guys, and be ready for Alabama fans saying, oh, oh, oh look, at, look at what he's able to do here. Georgia's offense sucks. They're going to negatively, negatively recruit against us. You know that's going to happen. That's fine. But I totally agree with Aaron Murray. If Alabama fans and the Alabama coaching staff are expecting Jermaine Burton to come in and be – a receiver, the caliber of Jamison Williams, of Devonte Smith, of Jalen Waddle, of Henry Ruggs, to be that kind of explosive receiver. I think they're going to be in for a very rude awakening. I think they are. I think it's foolish to expect that because he has not been that. I know he's had injuries, Curtis, and he's been productive for us. He did some good things for us, but he was not that kind of guy. And I know he's going to have Bryce Young. He's going to have a better quarterback and a more pass-happy offense, a receiver-friendly offense where they run a lot of RPOs and all those kind of things, where he gets a lot of single coverage. When the ball comes to him, it's, it's coming to him for a reason because it's going to come to him in space where he can make a play happen. But I just don't see him as one of those kind of guys. I don't see Jermaine Burton as like a first-round, like a surefire first-round draft pick. And I could totally be proven wrong. He could like just throw egg in my face, all in my face during this season. That's fine. I'm okay with that. But what, I'm just going off what I've seen from him so far. And I totally agree with Aaron. I think Burton's going to be a productive player for them. I think he's a really good number two. But if he's going to be your number one guy, I, I don't think he's going to be up to what Alabama fans expect him to be Like based off the guys that, that have been their number one receivers the past couple of years. I, I fully, fully agree with that. And that's not saying I don't think he's a good receiver. And I'm not trying to say, like, oh, I don't still want him on my team. I'd much like I've, – I've been very open, open about that. I'd rather have Jermaine Burton on our team than not have him. Of course, he's a good player. But I just don't think he's – elite in the vein of some of those guys Alabama's had as the number one guy their alpha receiver the past couple years I just don't see it all right Curtis last one here we'll wrap it up Alexander uh wants to talk about Amarius Mims so you and I we talked about last week we led the show I think last week yeah uh talking about his transfer and uh we went pretty deep on that but lo and behold Amarius Mims has chosen to come back to Georgia which is fantastic news same thing I said with Jermaine Bird. I'd much rather have him than not have him. If he's got to leave, he's got to leave. But I'd much rather have him than not have him. But Curtis Alexander asks, with Mims back in the fold, do you think he has a chance to start this year? He says, I believe we can use him at one of the starting guard spots and groom him to start at tackle in 2023. Kurt, what do you see as the immediate future for Marius Mims? I mean, realistically,
2: I'm hoping Kirby had to sit down with him and Mama and Papa because I think the sky is the limit for Mims. But right now, 100%. both these tackle positions are locked down by guys who – McClendon will be a two-year starter, and Jones got the snaps last year, especially in the natty and things like that. that yeah, McClendon's invaluable. basically
0: going to his third year as a starter.
2: Exactly. And so if Mims was smart, and I know things don't always work out perfectly, he should try to go all out and get one of these guard positions because versatility like that and then going – because next year we've talked about you could potentially, likely will have two – tackle positions open next year then try to move into one of those tackle positions then as a when you're coming out into the draft you can sell yourself on the fact that you can play guard and tackle give you that versatility that makes you even more valuable to an nfl team so i think it'd be it would behoove him to do that um and if he wants to get into the rotation quicker and even get experience like we talked about you know we were just talking about our guard play what scares us is the pass blocking well, I have no doubt Mims could also be a road grader. He's a gigantic human being, but I think he has better footwork than both Truss and Willick. And no at doubt. that other garp at that other position garp- could bring incredible versatility. If you had think about pass blocking with him and Jones, both at left on the left side, I, I would believe they could shut down
0: most sides completely. Yeah, you're exactly right. Chris. I agree with everything you said there, man. I mean, let's just go back to like, it, it, first off, it's not uncommon for young guys who are super talented that are behind some veterans that tackle, but they're long-term tackles, to play guard inside early and then move outside. Oh, I don't know. Isaiah Wynn, that name ring a bell, not that long ago, who parlayed that into a first-round draft for the New England Patriots. That versatility, you're exactly right. It absolutely makes you more marketable when you're going to to the NFL and you're going through the whole draft process. Of course it does. And look, there's a good chance McClendon will be gone after this year. Heck, Broderick Jones might be gone for this year. He's going into his third year. Broderick can leave after this year if he wants. So there's a good chance at least one of those tackle spots is going to be open next year. And it'll be a battle between him and Ernest Green. Really, if it's, and it might be both of them. Honestly, if it's both of them, he's, he's got one of the tackle spots next year. But this year, in the immediate future, I think that he's definitely got a shot if he comes in and works hard and buys in and just goes to work. To win one of those guard spots, so we talked about it, Curtis. You know, in our first episode of recap in G day, you you actually flat out said you don't think that we had like neither one of those. I think you said neither one of those guys that was out there were the first year is going to start. Is that right? Isn't that what you said?
2: That's exactly what I said. Yeah,
0: right. And, that, and that's before we knew that Mims was officially officially coming back. I had heard some. I had, I had been told that he might be considering coming back, but I didn't know for sure. But now that's even more of a possibility. Like those spots are still wide open. Well, you know, there's a bunch of guys fighting for those spots, but if Mims really sells out and fights for it and just dedicates himself to working, that's always been the thing with Mims It's like, you know, he, he was, we've said before, I'm not trying to knock the guy. I'm just trying to tell you what I've heard and pass along the word around town is that he just hasn't honestly worked as hard. I mean, just, let's just put it like it is. He just hasn't worked as hard because he didn't really have to in high school, didn't know how, how to work. And guys working hard, having a work ethic, that's a skill. I think people, Overlooked that. Like, that is an actual skill. And that's something that you have to develop. And in high school, he didn't have to do that. Just, just be real. He didn't have to do it. And you have to learn how to do that when you come to school. And he's still in the process of learning how to do that. But once that light goes on for him and he will just dedicate himself to doing that, there's zero question. He is the most talented of the options that we have that could potentially play guard. Zero, zero, zero question about that. He's just got to do the other things. And if he does that, if he buys in, and hopefully this process. Will lead him and encourage him to do more of that. Then I think he has a very legitimate shot to win one of those jobs. I wish he would have been able to, would have stayed here and, and practiced those last couple of weeks, and that might set his development back a little bit. But he has fall camp coming up. He's got a big summer ahead of him and a big fall camp ahead of him. But I certainly would not write him off, Wouldn't write him off at all. But all right, guys, that does it for us today here on the Glory UGA podcast. Just a quick reminder: I know I did the tennis episode earlier this week, but just throwing it out there one more time, telling you guys. If you've been like telling yourself, "Yo, yeah, eventually I'll come up there and check out a Georgia tennis match, or, or even if you're just looking for something to do this weekend with the family or just by yourself, you want to enjoy the great weather that we're going to have here in the Classic City this weekend. Should be 80 degrees and sunny. It's going to be a great, great time here at the McGill Tennis Complex. The SEC Men's Tennis Tournament is in town. And like I said on the show earlier this week, outside of Georgia football environments, Obviously, it's a no contest. That's the best environment on campus, clearly. But outside of Georgia football contests, I think that postseason college tennis here in Athens, in the mecca of college tennis, is the best environment on campus. And I will stand by that. I, I will I will fight to the death on that one. I mean, when basketball is rolling, Stegman's a good environment. Sure, it is. Baseball can be a solid environment, but there's nothing like college tennis Outside of football, obviously. But outside of football, there's nothing like the college the postseason college tennis environment here in Athens at the Dan McGill tennis complex. So get your tickets, come on out. We play Friday at 3 p.m. officially against Tennessee now. And then if we win that match, we'll play in the semifinals against almost certainly the Florida Gators, the one-seed Florida Gators, the defending national champions. We'll play them at two o'clock Saturday afternoon. So make it a weekend out of it, guys. Come enjoy some great tennis, some high-quality tennis, and uh, I promise you, you will not regret it if you make that trip. But thank you for listening, guys. We always appreciate it. For Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.